Good morning, everybody. Do you look at your neighbor and say, His mercies are new every morning. There you go. Amen. Feel a little bit better just by that, don't you? Praise God. I love you guys. It's good to see you this morning. We are uh, in First uh, Peter chapter 5, and I'm really glad because this is my last sermon in, in First Peter. We've been in this sucker for about eight or nine weeks. I don't even know, but my attention span can't hardly deal with it. But, uh, so I'm glad to be ending it, but this is a good, good last chapter that we're going to work through. I want to tell you, though, our, our youth had a successful trip. We took Hope Youth went down to Panama City to a conference this week, and uh, and uh, how many, Brian, five get saved down there this week of our group, so that's great. We can praise God for that if you want to this morning. A little, little hand clap. It was like the Lord just made a little three-foot putt right there, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Well, that, that's, that's good news, and we're glad that the Lord protect them, brought them back, and everybody's feeling good about that. But we're in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, and we've been talking in 1 Peter about how Peter addressed the elect exiles, those who were chosen by God, but for whatever reason, sometimes even when you're chosen by God and you are His elect and His chosen, you find yourself in some difficult circumstances. Amen. He says, not, are you not only are you just chosen by God, but you've actually been scattered into a world that is opposed to your value system, and you find yourself going through a lot of suffering and a lot of trials, and that was why he was writing to them, because they were chosen by God, but they were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and he was writing to them about all the trials they were facing and how to respond during all the difficult circumstances circumstances that they were having to undergo and here's the thing he says look I know you've been through various trials but you know what uh, it's not now we would hope that he say look I know you've been going through various trials but these three easy steps if you apply these to your life everything will get better and blessings will overflow he didn't say that though I mean it'd been good if he did but he didn't he actually said listen I know you've been through various trials but let me tell you something fiery trials are here to come and you've got to prepare yourselves. And here's the thing. If I, if I want, if somebody's going to come to me, and, and you've got to ask yourself this because some people prefer the other. If you really wanted advice from someone, would you want someone to just make you feel better for the present? Or would you want somebody to prepare you for the future by telling you the truth? I want to know what's coming. I want to know the truth. I just don't want to feel good right now and then not be prepared when, when things come down the road. I want to know what's coming. I want to know the truth and I want to be prepared and so he finalizes after talking about the suffering that they're going through he makes some final uh, exhortations and encouragements and he says here's the final preparations for you so that's what we're going to talk through here in first peter chapter five and here's what he says uh verse one so i exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you be sober-minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will restore, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. And God, we thank you that you are always at work in our lives and in our midst, Lord. You started a good work in us, Lord, and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And God, as we're working through the book of 1 Peter, Lord, he, he wrote that at a very specific time. But we believe, God, that it was written even for our admonition upon whom the end of the world has come. And so, God, we pray that you would bring this to life, speak to our hearts. God, whatever every person is going through, Holy Spirit, I know that you are able to minister to them so that ultimately, God, we can 
can be transformed into the image of Christ. We can know your will and we can walk in it by your grace. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So in closing, the thing that Peter uh, starts by talking about is he talks about elders and he talks about shepherding the flock and providing oversight. So the first thing that he's talking about is leadership. Because when the world is broken and things are messed up, everybody is looking for a leader, are they not? This is one of the reasons why there's so much political turmoil in our country and in our nation. Why? Because so many different things are going away and bad decisions are being made and the economy looks like it's collapsing and people are making decisions about wars. And when we've got certain people in office or in power that we disagree with or disagree with our values, well, we're at conflict with one another at large. What we all desire is a leader that we can get behind and we can trust and we can say man I can follow that man but for most of us it doesn't look pretty bright does it whenever we look at the national political sphere it's like I don't I don't know if any of these are great decisions like this is the best we could come up with sometimes that's how we feel when it comes to politics but here's what he's saying he's saying within the church we also need leadership because when crisis increases we need leadership to increase and when crisis is going on in somebody's life there's going to be people that they're going to be looking to to say what example do we follow what's the way to take we need wisdom we need advice we need counsel we need leadership and I think that just even in the past few years what I've seen is that as crisis has increased I know I can't speak for every church or every place but I know within our church what I've seen is people rise to the surface to lead because here, here's the thing that we have to understand is that every single one of us in some way are leaders parents in here this morning guess what whether you like it or not you lead your children, and however they act, right, that's on you. Amen. Somebody amen me this morning. Uh, and, and, uh, but you are leading your parents. Older brothers and sisters are leading their younger siblings. If you're a teacher in here this morning, you're, you're, you're leading in the school system, and you're leading the children. You may have a business, and you lead in business. There are somebody, there's somebody in your life that's looking up to you to set an example for how they should flourish in this life. And so all of us are put in this position of leadership in some way. But see, God prepares leaders through experience, right? Y'all ever had some experiences and after when you were going through it, you're like, man, I'm, I didn't want to go through that. But now after I did, I learned some things through this that has actually equipped me to be able to help somebody else through what I'm now going through. And so God teaches people through experience. And if you remember, Peter specifically, the guy that wrote this book, he was in the master class of the greatest leader who ever existed on planet Earth. And notice this, though. Jesus was the greatest leader. Like, he would, he would blow John Maxwell out of the water. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody read John Maxwell. All he does is write leadership books. I'm like, what do you do other than write leadership? Like, do you lead anything, though? Or do you just write leadership books? Anyway, never mind. Uh, but, but, but the point is, Jesus was a leader. But even in Jesus' circle, do you realize that he didn't have the biggest following all the time? There was a time when scholars said after he had fed multitudes with fish and loaves that he multiplied, well, who ain't going to follow that guy? We ain't even got to go to the grocery no more. You know what I'm saying? Like, this dude's going to multiply fish and bread. We're going to follow this dude. So they start following him, and he says, well, let me tell you this, guys. You want to follow me? You got to eat my flesh and my blood. All of them said, no, nope, we're dipping out. He's weird. And then he looks to his other disciples and says, are you going to go away too? And they say, Lord, who are we going to go to? Peter says, you have the words of life. So even the best leaders will not always be followed. We live in a day and age where, honestly, the truth is not going to be highly sought after and followed. You're going to see the masses following after things that tickle their ears and things that feel better to the flesh and things that appeal to their sinful desires more so than the truth the same way that it happened with Jesus. Amen. But if you remember, for three years, Jesus trained Peter and Jesus told Peter specifically he said to Peter listen Peter Satan has desired to sift you as wheat but I have prayed that your faith may not fail and once you have returned strengthen your brothers so like he's preparing Peter he even says to him at dinner I, I like the way Jesus messes around with him too one of you is going to deny me tonight why not just come out and tell it Jesus why we got to sit around here and ask just tell me just say Peter you're going to deny me dude but he doesn't he leaves it up for question because he wants them to search their hearts. He wants them to understand this is what would actually become the practice for them when they would take communion. It's why every time we take communion, what do we do? We examine ourselves. 
We check and see where's my heart with the Lord. What could I potentially do? It became a process now, not just for Peter and Judas and the rest of them, but for the entire church throughout history to examine your hearts when you take the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, I've prayed for you, Peter, and even though you may fail, you're going to come back and you're going to strengthen your brothers. And this gives me great hope. Because as a leader, guess what? It means that I don't necessarily have to be perfect to lead well. It means i got to learn from my lessons. I need to understand that a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. He, he, he relies on the mercy and the grace of God to enable him to live a holy and a pure life and, and, and to recover from his mistakes because your, your failure is never final in Christ Jesus. See, he could have cut Peter off and said, you're done, bro, but he doesn't. Matter of fact, he comes back, and you remember Peter was around a, 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 a fire of coals as they were taking Jesus in to be beaten, and he was with a girl who asked him, hey, you knew that, Jesus? He said, no, I, I don't know the man, and he cursed and everything. Well, Jesus reenacts that same thing in order to restore him, and he brings Peter up off where he's fishing on the boat. They come out. Jesus is resurrected, and he's cooking fish. I mean, that just sounds like Jesus cooking fish over over coals. He brings Peter in, and he reenacts that moment around the coals of fire because Peter denied Jesus three times, and three times Jesus gets him to renounce his denial by saying, "Peter, do you love me?" And Peter says, "Lord, you know I love you." And he says, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. And each time, what is Jesus' response to Peter? You want to demonstrate your love for me now? Then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. What Jesus is saying is you want, to, you want to look at the world and people, all of us, are like sheep. We have gone astray. And Jesus reaches out to us as the chief shepherd, does a work in our heart, saves our souls, gives us the Holy Spirit, gives us renewal, gives us salvation. And to some, he puts in a place of leadership and he says, I want you, your purpose on this earth is to care for the flock the same way that I demonstrated my care for you. And so he calls people into these positions of leadership. And so now Peter, he's an older shepherd. He's been battle-tested and he's preparing Christians for the growing crisis that is about to come. And so he lists four things for final preparations that I want to go through real quickly. And number one, just to follow up with what I just said, is number one, he says you need to lead well and you need to follow good leaders. In verse one, verse 1, again, let me read this again. He said, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is, that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory now i know this can be a little bit boring but it's it's still important you know you know if it's written this is why we go through books of the bible sometimes because you know what ends up happening it's like when i had to preach that message a few weeks ago on wives submit to your husbands you know what i'm saying i ain't gonna pick that message on just a random you know what do you want to preach on this week clay wives submit yourself to your husbands but if you go through the scripture you realize that this is the reason we do it because every verse of scripture is important is it not amen so you need to hear it regardless of if it's going to hype you up or make you feel good or not. And so he's talking about leadership within the church. And here's the thing. There's singular headship, but there's plural leadership. Over the church, there is one head. Amen. His name is Jesus Christ. This means that we don't get to change what has been said. We have a singular head. He is the Lord. His word is what stands. And so I don't get to come in and say, you know what? As leader of this church, I think what Jesus said in this area, we should change. No, we don't get to change it because he is the head. But within the body of Christ, there is plural leadership. That means that there's not just one elder, but there is a plurality of elders. There's, there's old men, and even in our church, some young men that lead spiritually. There's people that we have on our board that makes financial decisions and we have these men in, in positions and in places of leadership to steward the church that God has given them and it's so important that we have that see if you just have singular headship you get a dictatorship don't you and that can be dangerous in a, in a, in a political sphere or whatever but if you just have plural leadership where a bunch of people all trying to take leadership and, 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 and all trying to decide you have America where everybody's just fighting all the time and arguing all the time because they can't come into agreement but in the body of Christ you have singular headship Christ then you have plural eldership who seek the Lord together and make decisions in agreement amen 
And so even in our church, you know, what we have, Peter was an apostle, which means that in some sense he was a pastor of pastors. He planted churches and he over, had provided oversight for churches and he's writing to these churches specifically. Even in our church, believe it or not, I have oversight. I've got three overseers, men that I speak to on a regular basis that God forbid I were to preach some heresy this morning or commit some heinous crime or act, they would come in, discipline me as needed for the overall health of the church, meet with our other elders and make a decision going forward what is right so that I'm not just left out here on an island making decisions for myself. When I need advice from older men who are wiser than me, I go to them. They speak to me on a regular basis about what's going on in my life. And then we communicate within the body on how best we can steward this church that God has given us. But I want to say this because shepherds specifically, that speaks about... Basically, if you read in Scripture, and it talks about leadership throughout Scripture, the most used metaphor for leadership is to be a shepherd. And that's even the Scripture says, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus said of himself, I am the good shepherd. And so, but a shepherd is a relational leader that cares and nurtures and feeds the flock and takes care of the flock, protects the flock, and wants the greatest flourishing for the flock. And even in the church, what you find is, just, just like the people that took the youth down to, to Florida this week, those are shepherds. Those are people who care for the flock. Those are people, we have ministry leaders. We have people that lead small groups. What do they do? They step into a shepherding role to try to, to, try to encourage and strengthen and teach and pray for those under them and those around them in order to lead them into the direction that it goes. So there, there's not just one shepherd, but there's under shepherds that are relational leaders bringing people into the green pastures that Jesus Christ has provided through his crucifixion, death, and resurrection. Amen? So we have that leadership within our church. And if, if you read and if you go to different denominations, everybody's going to have a different thing. They're going to have the presbytery. They're going to have a, the plurality of elders. Like People are going to name different things. If you go to a Catholic church, you've got priests and everything. And they see leadership differently. But here's what I want to say. I don't want to split hairs over all these things. I want to say that the one thing that we have commonly is the character of these leaders. I think we all agree on what the character of these leaders should be. And here's some things that Peter says specifically. What these shepherds and overseers and elders are supposed to do is exercise oversight. They're to serve willingly and eagerly and to be examples to the flock. And they're to serve for the eternal reward of Christ. So what happens if children don't have oversight and leadership? I mean, we, we sent a lot of good kids down there to Panama City this week. But I want you to imagine what would have happened if we hadn't sent any leaders with them. It's a nightmare, isn't it? I mean, even the best of kids left alone. Have y'all ever read that book, uh, The Lord of the Flies? You know what I'm talking about? It can get into savagery quick. Because you have to have oversight and you have to have leadership. And without good, healthy oversight and leadership, people are scattered. People have no umbrella to come up under. They don't have a direction to go. And this is one of the things that he's saying. They need oversight and need to exercise oversight and leadership. But they need to do it willingly and without compulsion. What's this mean? If I do it willingly, I do it not because somebody's encouraging me to do it or somebody's trying to make me do it. How many of you have a hard time saying no to stuff? Anybody in here? Like, no, no everybody, everybody's good. Eh? But here's the thing. He says, I want you to do this. If you're going to be in ministry, I want you to do it because you are called and not under compulsion. There's a difference between being called by God and being compelled by somebody else. Somebody said, well, they compelled me to get into the kids' ministry down here. I don't feel right about it. Amen. I, I don't feel called to it. Now, here's the thing. If you are a Christian, everybody in the room that serves Christ is called into ministry. You were not called by the Lord Jesus Christ who sat in a chair on Sunday. And that be all that you do for the Lord. That is not what we're called. We are called to serve. We are called to be in ministry. And we are called to function in some realm to serve the body of Christ. And we all have different giftings and we don't all do the same thing. But every single one of us are equipped to minister to the lost, to evangelize the world, to serve in one of our giftings, whether it's through generosity or mercy or teaching or caring for the children or, or visiting the sick. Whatever it is, God has called us in some capacity to serve in ministry. And he says they need to do it eagerly that means that they're not just lazy about it but they do it with an eager face with a glad face they're happy about it and they do it eagerly and they are examples to 
the flock. So the good news about this is, is if you are in leadership position, you don't necessarily have to be perfect, do you? Because Peter was not perfect. But he became an example to the flock. And do you realize that sometimes being an example, this is what I say sometimes when we talk about marriage and we talk about family. If you're married in this house this morning and you've not been in a fight in the past month, congratulations. But we know in reality that whenever we live in a community of people, guess what? Sometimes we butt heads because we're broken people. And sometimes leadership is being willing to repent publicly and admit that you're wrong and ask for grace. And that's what Peter did publicly with Jesus. So he takes that position of leadership of humility and he says, you got to be an example to the flock. But he also says this, and you, and you need to understand this as a leader. This is, this is something that's difficult because one of the things he says that you don't need to be doing is that you don't need to be doing it for, for gain specifically or to be domineering. You don't need to do it for shameful gain or to be domineering or you don't need to serve under compulsion. But here's the thing. I remember one time whenever I got into ministry, um, you know, when I first started preaching, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you ain't going to get into ministry for money. If you do, you're in, the wrong, you're in the wrong business. I've been offered several jobs, a lot more money. And every time the money tried to pull at me a little bit, the Lord would pull me back. Why? Because he called me to something. And it would try to keep me balanced, right? Not to say that I ain't wanted money. I'm just like rest of y'all. I'm going to admit, every now and then I want a little money. Somebody amen me this morning, right? But he says you can make a choice. You're either going to love God or love money. You cannot love both of them. You're going to have to choose in this world if you're going to serve money or you're going to serve God. So he says, don't be eager for gain like Judas, but he says you need to understand that if you're in the ministry, your reward is not going to be in this life. The crown that you're going to receive. I remember I got real depressed one time. I was in the red in my bank account. You know what I'm saying? Preaching all over the place. And I left one place after I preached my brains out. And, and you know, they didn't, didn't give me a dollar, no gas money. I didn't got no money. You know what I'm saying? I got down and a guy come up to me and he whispered in my ear. He said, I felt like the Lord wanted you to hear this. You need to understand, Clay, that your reward is not in this life. And it reset my vision. Because now I begin to understand that what I'm doing, I'm not serving God for gain in this life. I'm not serving God for what I can get in this life. I'm serving God for an eternal reward where rust and moth does not corrupt. That is, that is in heaven. He says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Don't be eager for just gain because he said there would actually be out there that would try to manipulate people in order to just get money out of that. See, this is not just a job that, provide, that pays the bills. This is a calling that God calls you into, right? And so this is what he's saying. So when you think about how you serve, you serve the Lord because you're looking to serve in a way that's going to store up treasures in heaven. And he says, don't be domineering. And the point behind that is, is that a good leader, a good shepherd doesn't beat the sheep. A good shepherd feeds the sheep. Amen. Sometimes when we, y'all ever been domineering before? How many of you, you kids haven't done what you wanted them to do recently? I bet you got domineering. I bet you got loud, aggressive, and you tried to force them to behave and do what you wanted them to do. He says that's all right. But sometimes what happens in the church is, uh, shepherds and leaders can want can value results over people. You ever want something to happen so bad that when people aren't doing what you want them to do, you get angry at them? He's saying don't be domineering. When you don't see the results you want, you still have to first and foremost love and value the people. When people don't do what you want them to do, that's going to happen all the time. Listen, if you, were, if you were an actual shepherd, every now and then you get some sheep running out here wandering around, costing you time in the day or whatever else, doing some wild stuff. But he says it's not about that. You need to love and serve those people and not be domineering over them. Amen. So there's two types of leaders. I think there's process leaders uh, and there's, there's pivot leaders. This is just one way to look at it. Process leaders are people who they like calendars. They like spreadsheets. They like plans. How many of you, you love to just plan and be organized, and if your plans get broke up, you just can't hardly take it, right? Some, some of the people out here. And you need that. Like, I need people around me that got calendars and got plans and got organization because I don't have anything. I'm a pivot leader, son. Like, I'm shooting from the hip, and I'm ready to change anything at a moment's notice. But here's the issue. It's important that you plan well, that you organize, that administrators are in their place when they lead, but it's also important that you know how to pivot. You know why? Because things can change in a moment of time, and you don't need to be so religious that you get stuck in what you've always done. What you never want to hear in an organization is, well, we've always done it this way. Amen. 
Because things change. I don't know if y'all remember 2020. Y'all remember when that year happened? It was a great year, wasn't it? It was a very good year. I feel, sing a little Sinatra this morning to get y'all going. Um, but here's the thing. When 2020 hit, man, we had to change everything drastically. I don't know if y'all remember this or not. We had church on TV. Wasn't that weird? But my point being is that when, when stuff is going on, there's got to be sometimes dramatic changes that take place in leadership, and we need to pay attention and be filled with the Holy Spirit to make changes when necessary. Number two, he says you need to clothe yourself with humility. Now, this is a big point. In verse 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So he's addressed the elders in the church and how they should lead. Now he addresses the younger folks. Now how many of you realize that the smartest people in the world right now are about 20 years old? Have y'all realized that? Yeah, you got it, yes. I remember when I was 20 years old, man, I was at the peak of my brilliance. And I've, I've slowly declined, you know, since then. But, uh, but here's the and I'm joking. Y'all ain't laughing this morning. I, I got to get y'all going a little bit. Give me a little bit of something. So you are not at the peak of your brilliance at 20. This is what he's saying about younger people. We live in a generation and get this we live in a generation of young people who they absolutely think they are brilliant and they're unwilling to take advice from older folks and honestly what's happened is this is the first time a generation has been indoctrinated by looking at eight second memes on a phone in their face at a constant rate they're not learning good things from the world system. And they're not learning good things, honestly, because of their parents, because they're so overwhelmed and indoctrinated with what culturally is taking place through their smartphones. And my point being is, is that a, a teenager or a 20-year-old person at this particular point in time can sit and listen to clip after clip on TikTok and believe that everything they are hearing is absolutely true and regurgitate it to you with all kinds of pride as if they are right and you are absolutely wrong. And what he's saying is, young people, I'm trying to be nice about it, but you're pretty dumb. Amen. Nobody liked that either. And you need to find some elders in your life who have been through some things that you've not been through, and you need to get some advice from them. And you need, you need to hang out with somebody who grew up before a phone had a screen. Amen. And you need to know what they think about ministry and what their views are on the Lord and what their views are on what's happening now culturally. And you need to hear from them and surround yourself with them because they may know a little bit more than you know. And so he says, young people, listen, you may need a little bit more wisdom and it's what's going to happen is you're going to have to clothe yourself with humility. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now get this, Peter was a proud man. Y'all remember some of the things that Peter did? Peter thought he was the dude, man. He's like, Lord, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Matter of fact, Peter was so proud that a couple of times he actually rebuked the Lord. I mean, what kind of position you got to be in mentally to rebuke the Lord? How many of you know if Jesus shows up here right now and tells me to do something, I'm not going to be like, Lord, you're, you're wrong about that one, Lord. Uh, he's the creator. I think he's probably a little bit smarter than me. But Peter had some pride, and he realized firsthand that his pride went before his own destruction. He had a Holy Spirit saying he would never deny Jesus. What did he end up doing that very night? He denied Jesus three times. And he was humiliated and he was brought low. And he says, look, clothe yourself with humility because it's not enough to know the Lord's will, but you need to know the Lord's timing. And what can happen is this. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that in the appropriate time, then he can exalt you. Now, this is important because most people, how many in here, you got bosses or you got overseers or you got people over you or leaders or maybe even in the church, you feel like you're called to ministry and you feel like you're smarter than the people that are over you. Amen. I got laughs already. They just sort of smirk. Y'all know you do. You think you're smarter than the people that are over you. You think you're better than the people that are over you. But here's what God says. He says, rather than trying to exalt yourself into a position of leadership, if you want God's leadership to take place, you actually are supposed to take the position of a servant and, and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And at the right time, once you've learned your lesson, then God can exalt you to the position of power. 
Because if you exalt yourself to that place before God wants you in that place, it will end up crushing you and you'll be in the same position of pride as somebody else. And so you've got to learn to serve before you can ever be elevated. But see, we all live on a spectrum from humble to proud. And uh, Jesus is the only person that's ever perfectly, holy, consistently humble. Satan is the only person that is only perfectly, consistently, holy, proud. And we live on a spectrum somewhere in between. But C.S. Lewis said this about humility. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. So what he says is, it's it's not an issue of thinking less of yourself or putting yourself down. But it's an issue of thinking less about yourself altogether. That it's not about me, it's about others. And when I can move into a position where I begin to think about myself less and think about others more and put my focus on God more, I'm moving into a place of humility. It's when I'm consumed by myself and what I want that pride eats me up. Number two, humility lets God be the center of your life and leaves room for others with you. You know what pride does? Pride makes you the center of the universe. Pride looks at other people and says, how can you serve me? How can you give me mine? How can you elevate me? How can I use you to get to my next step? But humility says, how can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I minister to you? And lastly, humility permits you to accept help from God and others. Some people are so proud and have such a hardened heart that even when they were at their worst and in such desperate need of help, they can't reach out to God or anyone else or humble themselves to get help from somebody else, and it ends up leading to their destruction. Now, if you read in Philippians 2, speaking of Jesus' humility, I love these scriptures right here, but it says, In verse 5 of Philippians 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. We're talking about the guy who eternally existed and spoke the world into being. He breathed the breath of life and you became a living soul. If if it were not for Christ, nothing would exist. You couldn't see there would be nothing but eternal darkness. But because he eternally existed, he created the worlds. And he says, and this eternal God took on flesh and became a man. But get this, when he became a man, which is obviously lower than God, he didn't stand on here and say, I'm God, bow down and worship me and wear purple and have you bow. He became the lowest form of a man, taking upon himself the form of a servant, washing people's feet hanging out with sinners and the afflicted and broken moving down lower but then he lowered himself even lower than that he allowed the people that he created to spit on him beat him mock him and ultimately crucify him and the one who created all life suffered death at the cross he was at his lowest point and that's why the very next verse says therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and things under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father what is he saying he's saying if you want to understand how the kingdom functions you need to watch Jesus who sat on the right hand of God the Father through all eternity but stooped down lower and lower and lower to the ultimate low point and when he hit the bottom God exalted him above every name he says you want to advance in the kingdom of God As a matter of fact one of the disciples some of the disciples said hey who's going to be greatest in the end who's going to sit at your left and at your right he said it's not for me to tell you that stuff that's that's above your pay grade boys but he, he didn't get he didn't rebuke them for wanting greatness he just redirected it he said if you want greatness you need to understand that the greatest in the kingdom of God will be the servant of all It'll be the one willing to take the lowest position and serve the most. He says that's how you advance in the kingdom. And see, humility is mentioned 900 times in Scripture. It's almost as if God wanted us to get it. Amen. It's like He was trying to get us to figure it out. Just 900 times, guys. Just keep saying it. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, There's one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. The essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. 
unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Amen. I want to go through this quick list here. Because pride, you have to understand, is demonic. It comes from the evil one, and it is an anti-God state of mind. It's you believing that you can function without God because you become, in essence, a God of your, own, of your own self. You choose for yourself what is good and evil. You make the decisions for your life, and you think somehow that you're going to make the best decisions. But humility is godly because humility makes you understand your proper place in the world, that you are a mere earthling, my friend, and that without God, you cannot make it. Pride, when you function out of pride, you pull hell up from beneath, but when you function in humility, you pull heaven down. Pride is natural. All you got to do to be proud is wake up tomorrow morning. It just, it's just there, my friends. But humility is supernatural because it comes out of a relationship with God. Pride's like a demon, but humility is the spirit that casts out that demon. Pride is how we war with God, but humility is how we worship God. Any of y'all notice how we didn't come in here this morning and sing songs about ourselves? Amen. Like we come in here and who do we glorify? We lift God up. We worship God because humility comes into a position where we elevate Him rather than elevating ourselves. Because the Christian message is not this. What a lot of people want a lot of times is they want somebody to pump them up. You know what I'm saying? They want to listen to an inspirational video. They want Tony Robbins to excite them and tell them, you know what, you're the most amazing thing on the planet and, and all that. And that's all fun and good for about 10 or 15 minutes until you have the next bad thought and blow something the next day. And what you really realize is you are not the most amazing thing on the planet, but you are deeply loved by the one who is the most amazing thing. Amen. And because you are deeply loved, you can have a relationship with this God whom without you will die and you will be destroyed. He is the only thing we can have in our lives that brings life and purpose and meaning and without Him we are lost. And that's important to know. So pride can humiliate you, but only you can humble you. Pride's a destination, but humility is a direction. And here, this last one I want to kind of focus in on, but pride is the cause for most relational problems Humility is the cure for most relational problems. You know, there's a proverb that says, only by pride comes quarreling and contention. You want to see somebody arguing, somebody fighting, you know what's, what exists there? Pride. Period. So like in relationships, there's three kinds of relationships. One is you've got a proud person and a proud person, and what you have is a battle. Amen. Like how many of y'all, well, that sounds to me like uh, my marriage. Amen. Praise God. Because when you've got two proud people... It's just two hard-headed people going to war with one another because one, they both think they're right all the time. And nobody is willing to take the position of humility and say, look, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, I apologize, let's work this out. But he says, then you have a proud person and a humble person, and you know what can happen then? Abuse can happen. Because you've got a proud person, you've got a humble person willing to yield, but this proud person now abuses the fact that this person is offering up humility. And then finally, you've got a humble person and a humble person, both willing to submit to God, and when they're both willing to yield to one another in love, what you have is a blessing. Amen. So he says, clothe yourselves with humility. And then he says, thirdly, after you've following good leaders and you've got shepherds in place, you've clothed yourself with humility. You understand that God gives grace to the humble. Then he says, number three, in that position, you've got to look out for the lion. You've got to look out for the lion because he says this, be sober-minded, verse 8, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You know, when we, go, when we go to, uh, last year I went hiking with some of these boys up in the Smoky Mountains. I went up there not too long ago. There's bears all over the place. We saw like three, three little baby cubs and their mama just like hanging out together. And the bear goes up in the trees and all this. But you know what? They got warning signs like whenever you go hiking, don't, like, don't leave food in your tent. <laughs> Anybody admit me on that? Like, don't do that. Like, beware. You leave food in your tent, you'll probably get eaten, most likely. Congratulations, you don't want to be eaten. There's bears out there. What he's saying is there's certain things that you need to be aware of in our culture. Here's a beware sign. 
Be sober, be alert, because your adversary, the devil, is out like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so you need to pay attention. Why? Let me say this. Demons currently are running rampant in our society, and they use deceptive ideas that appeal to your disordered desires that are normalized in our sinful society. Demons use deceptive ideas that appeal to your carnal, sinful desires. And then when you get baited with them, guess what? They get normalized in our sinful society so that you're actually affirmed and congratulated whenever you are in some of these sinful patterns of behavior. Now, not all of them are normalized, but he tries to normalize as many as he possibly can. So what is currently not being normalized? Would you say that Christianity is being normalized in our culture? No, it's not. It's continually being demonized in our culture more and more. I thought about this this week because it's so interesting. Like people for a long time now in America, they've not wanted the Ten Commandments in our school system. They've not wanted the Ten Commandments in our state buildings. And I'm thinking, what's, I mean, you know what the Ten, have y'all ever read the Ten Commandments? It says don't lie. It says don't kill people. It says don't steal and don't commit adultery. How bad is that? I mean, most of the stuff I'm reading on there is like, eh, this seems like a pretty good idea. Maybe we shouldn't kill one another. I don't know. It wouldn't hurt to hang it up. I don't know. Maybe leave it up. But instead, rather, we say, no, we don't want those things hanging. What we want, actually, is for eight-year-olds to be able to have a sex change operation without parental consent, and we want drag queens teaching our children. Do y'all realize where we've gotten as, and I get that a lot of this is media and propaganda. I understand that. But the fact that we are moving that far of a direction, it means that we no longer have a sober mind. And what he's saying is you have to be sober-minded because your adversary, the devil, is using deceptive ideas that appear, appeal to our carnal desires and it's being normalized in our sinful society now. So you need to be alert and pay attention to this guy that is lurking. Now the devil, like I said, now he knows he ain't going to get me on some of those big things, so he's going to have a different set of temptations for me. And can I tell you that even as a pastor, he tempts me in different ways, the same way that he tempts everybody else? Yeah. Amen. Everybody out here is getting tempted. He's got some lures. He's got some tricks up his sleeve. But a lion prowls because it hides sort of behind the bushes to find you in a vulnerable spot so that it can pounce on you and attack you and kill you. Now he says specifically that it roars. If you do a little lion research, what you'll find is that predominantly they try to prowl and be sneaky and be in stealth so that they can pounce on you at the right time. But they also do something. If they think that they've got you in a position but they need to buy time, they will roar in order to instill fear and paralyze their victim so they can't get a jump on them and run amen you know what the devil's doing in our society he's been very sneaky very stealth like very deceptive now he's gotten us so entrapped that he's actually being in the wide open and he's simply roaring and he's causing panic and fear and people are under so much anxiety that they are paralyzed from doing the will of god in their lives and this anxiety is coming upon them very strongly and he says you need to resist him firm in the faith and there's a, there's a point see you have to resist the devil when he comes against you you stand on God's word and say no to his lies and his deceptive ideas one of the things that Satan wants to do this is why it says stand firm in the faith because what he wants you to do is to deny the essentials of the Christian faith he doesn't want you to believe in Christianity and what the scripture says anymore and there's a full-on attack against the Christian church right now in our world today, to not believe what the Bible says. And there will increasingly be churches who capitulate to that and say, we no longer believe what the Bible says about this. He wants you to deny your faith. Peter said, no, no, stand firm on your faith. But not only that, don't function from a place of fear where you, you, you make decisions based on fear in your life, but function from a place of faith, knowing who God is and that He will keep you in this. Now, one, one thing that's very interesting, 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. It's interesting to me that that comes right before His admonition concerning the devil. In other words, what I, what I think He's saying is this, If you don't learn how to cast your anxieties on the Lord, and you don't learn how to transfer your burden to the Lord, and you don't understand how much the Lord loves and cares for you, you become very vulnerable to the devil's attack. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. And I want you to understand that he looks at all of us, and if, if we're Christians, he's going to try to devour all of us. 
But he sees those that are carrying anxieties and burdens that only God is designed to carry. And he sees that they're not good at transferring that burden. So he attacks you because you're carrying more than you were designed to carry. So what he's saying is you've got to learn how to cast your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you because you've got a devil that's running wild. And so let me, let me say it like this very, very practically. I, I have anxiety sometimes. I get panic and fear and worry just like the next person. I, even to be honest with you, last night I was feeling some kind of way. I was a little bit worried. And this morning preparing for this sermon, y- y- y'all got to understand something. I don't know if you feel this way about it, but for me to get up in front of a bunch of people and speak, it's hard. It's hard every single week. And I think, Lord, this is dumb. I'm an idiot. What you got me doing this for? Can I quit this week? And, 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 and so I'm wrestling with all these things. I got other things going on. I got a little bit anxious. You know what I do every time? I bow down on my knees, I get before the Lord, I get in a place of humility, and I name my anxieties to Him. I say, this is exactly what I'm thinking. You say, well, you let the devil know. The devil's the one put them there. I let him know and then tell him where where to go after that, amen. Y'all know I'm going to throw one in on him. Let him know and tell him where to go. But I say, Lord, I'm talking to you right now. The devil can listen if he wants because he's defeated. But, but here's my anxieties. This is what's going on in my mind. And I list those two at them. And I say, God, I need you to take this burden from me. I need you to take. And somewhere in that, there's tears sometimes. There's weeping. There's praying. But there's a transferal of that burden where I feel God take the anxiety and give me peace so that I can sleep and trust he's got this. He wants you to learn how to do that so that you don't become vulnerable to the attack of the enemy on a constant basis. Amen. Last one, I'm done. Number four, he says you need to receive restoration and strength from the God of all grace. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. He says, after you've suffered a little while, because here's the thing, some of us, we are going to go through some suffering. It's going to happen. And he says that over and over again in 1 Peter, but he says, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And he talks about some of his buddies because we all need good buddies in this life. But he says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now, so here's what he's saying. He's saying, Guys, listen. You're going through various trials. You're going to go through more fiery trials. And even though you may suffer for a little while, understand that you have a God who is the God of all grace. That means no matter what you are going through, no matter what you are dealing with, He will supply the grace needed in your life to get you through this, to make you stronger, to equip you to be a better minister, and He will use you for, your glo- for His glory. Because listen, there is nothing that you're going to go through in this life that God will not use. That's how awesome he is. So he tells them, you need to receive something from the Lord. And first he says, you need to receive restoration. He's going to restore you. That means he's going to put you back into alignment. Because when we go through some things, we go through some difficulties and some challenges, and sometimes we get out of alignment. We forget God. Our prayer life grows weak. We get angry at God. We get frustrated. We start getting bitter at other people. And he says, no, no, no. Let me bring you back into a place of forgiveness. Let me wash you afresh in my blood. Let me restore peace of mind to you. Let me let you offload some of that unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart and realign you with my purposes. He wants to restore you. He says, not only does he want to restore you, but he wants to confirm you. And that means to acknowledge with definite assurance. This means sometimes you go through seasons, you wonder where God is, you wonder, man, is God anywhere? Am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I following the way that I'm supposed to be? Is this the will of God for my life? And we go through those seasons and he says, but no, if you choose God and you choose to stick with Him and be faithful to Him through the hard times, He's going to show up and give you definite assurance and a token and confirm you this is the way I'm here with you, continue, and then what will He do? He'll strengthen you in it. That means He'll give you the internal fortitude to do what you know you ought to do, that God's will will be confirmed in you and that you'll do exactly what God's calling you to. You'll have supernatural strength because here's the thing, sometimes we come to our end, we come to our limits, but thank God there is a Holy Spirit who comforts us and strengthens us supernaturally to do what we are unable to do. And then He says, lastly, He's going to establish you 
so that you'll be rooted and grounded. Some people have went through seasons where they're like, they're over here, they're over there. This happened, they changed jobs. They don't know what's going on. And it's just like, man, I don't even feel like anything is confirmed in my life. And he says, no. He says, God is going to establish you. He's going to root you and he's going to ground you because he wants you to produce much fruit. And as you produce much fruit, you can bring others up under the shade of that tree to shepherd them, to care for them, to nurture them. Amen? Here's the last verse. I want to share it one more time because this one just really hits home. But 1 Peter 5, 7, we just read it. I want you to think about this. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. See, you're going to suffer in this life and you're going to go through difficulty, but God is going to give you grace. And what you have to learn how to do in this season of life and in the season to come, you've got to learn to cast your anxieties on the one who cares for you. Amen? I want you to bow your head with me this morning. And I want you to think about that. Maybe even under your breath, you could whisper the anxieties that you have before the Lord and start to bring those anxieties to Him, whatever they may be. And just take a moment right here in His presence just to say, Lord, this is what I've been struggling with. These are the fears that I've been having. These are the anxieties, the burdens that I've been carrying. Some of you might even be carrying the burden of sin. And you just need to bring that to the Lord Jesus. Whether you've already been saved or whether you've gotten into a position where you realize, listen, I'm, I'm lukewarm. God, I'm not close to you. I've, I've allowed things to creep into my life that, that I, I can't believe they've gotten here. And sometimes we all get there. And we've got to come back and say, Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you restore me? Would you restore to me the joy of your salvation? Would you refresh me and renew me in your spirit? Would you cleanse me afresh in your blood and remind me that I'm forgiven, that I'm called, that I'm chosen, and that you still got this on my life? And so, Lord, I pray that you just minister to each person right now, and I pray, God, that you would help them to offload that anxiety and offload that burden and that those fears would be broken off. And, Lord Jesus, right now, you would just transfer your peace to them. Just transfer your peace to them in this situation in Jesus' name. Now, whether you, whether you want to sit at your seat or whether you want to stand or whether you want to come around this altar, I'm going to ask you like I do every week to respond to the Lord. There was a guy who gave me a testimony uh, last week. He said a couple of weeks ago he had never been to the altar to pray and he kept being drawn by the Spirit for like three weeks and finally he gave in and he said, man, I'm going to go no matter what happens. And at the end of the service... He just felt the Lord tugging on his heart. And when he came to the altar to pray, the Holy Spirit just overwhelmed him in a way that he had never experienced. My point being is, sometimes as a church, we never access all that God wants to do because we don't fully respond to the Lord. Simply hearing a message and getting through a long sermon is not our goal as Christians. We believe that if the Word of God goes forth, it's going to confirm and establish people, yes, but we respond to the Lord in worship. We respond to the Lord with the lifting of our hands. We respond with a prayer. And if you are a brother or sister that is battling anxiety and fear, I would encourage you, come forward this morning. Come forward this morning and pray around this altar. Let some brothers and sisters gather around you to strengthen you. Because listen, what some, sometimes the waters need to be stirred. And there may be a word from the Lord for you, but because you don't ever respond, you don't stir the waters to receive. And so my point is, we've got to respond to the Lord. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. You want to kneel at your seat or you want to come around this altar and kneel. I want you to offload your anxieties this morning. I want you to pray to the Lord. I want you to seek Him this morning. If you need prayer, you can come forward. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord.